0: Chapter One of the White Linen Nurse. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The White Linen Nurse by Eleanor Hallowell Abbott. Chapter One. The White Linen Nurse was so tired that her noble expression ached. Incidentally, her head ached, and her shoulders ached, and her lungs ached, and the ankle bones of both feet ached quite excruciatingly. But nothing of her felt permanently incapacitated except her noble expression. Like a strip of lip-colored lead suspended from her poor little nose by two tugging, wire-gray wrinkles Her persistently conscientious sick room smile seemed to be wanging aimlessly against her front teeth. The sensation certainly was very unpleasant. Looking back thus on the three spine curving, chest cramping, foot twinging, ether scented years of her hospital training, it dawned on the white linen nurse very suddenly that nothing of her ever had felt permanently incapacitated except her noble expression. Impulsively she sprang for the prim-white mirror that capped her prim-white bureau, and stood staring up into her own entrancing, bright-colored, Nova Scotian reflection with tense and unwanted interest. Except for the unmistakable smirk which fatigue had clawed into her plastic young mouth-lines, there was certainly nothing special the matter with what she saw. "'Perfectly good face,' she attested judicially, with no more than common courtesy to her progenitors. "'Perfectly good and tidy-looking face. If only—' "'If only—' Her breath caught a trifle. "'If only—' It didn't look so disgustingly noble, and hygienic, and dollish. All along the back of her neck, little sharp, prickly pains began suddenly to sting and burn. Silly, simpering, pink-and-white puppet, she scolded squintingly. I'll teach you how to look like a real girl. Very threateningly. She raised herself to her tiptoes and thrust her glowing corporeal face right up into the molten, elusive, quicksilver face in the mirror. Pink for pink, blue for blue, gold for gold, dollish smirk for dollish smirk, the mirror mocked her seething inner fretfulness. "'Why darn you!' she gasped. "'Why, darn you! Why, you looked more human than that when you left the Annapolis Valley three years ago!' there were at least tears in your face then and cinders and your mother's best advice and the worry about the mortgage and-and the blush of joe hazelton's kiss furtively with the tip of her index finger she started to search her imperturbable pink cheek for the spot where joe hazelton's kiss had formerly flamed my hands are all right anyway she acknowledged with infinite relief triumphantly she raised both strong, stub-fingered, exaggeratedly executive hands to the level of her childish blue eyes and stood surveying the mirrored effect with ineffable satisfaction. "'Why, my hands are dandy!' she gloated. "'Why, they're perfectly dandy! Why, they're wonderful! Why, they're—' Then suddenly and fearfully she gave a shrill little scream.' "'But they don't go with my silly doll face!' she cried. "'Why, they don't! They don't! "'They go with the senior surgeon's scowling Heidelberg eyes! "'They go with the senior surgeon's grim gray jaw! "'They go with the—' "'Oh, what shall I do? What shall I do?' "'Dizzily, with her stubby fingertips prodded deep "'into every jaded facial muscle that she could compass, she staggered towards the air and, dropping down into the first friendly chair that bumped against her knees, sat staring blankly out across the monotonous city roofs that flanked her open window, trying very, very hard, for the first time in her life, to consider the general phenomenon of being a trained nurse. All around and about her, inexorable as anesthesia, Horrid as the hush of tomb or public library, lurked the painful, unmistakable sense of institutional restraint. Mournfully to her ear, from some remote kitcheny region of pots and pans, a browsing spoon tinkled forth from time to time with soft muffled resonance. Up and down every clammy white corridor, innumerable young feet, borne to prance and stamp, were creeping stealthily to and fro in rubber-heeled whispers. Along the sombre fire-escape just below her window-sill, like a covey of snubbed doves, six or eight of her classmates were cooing and crooning together with excessive caution concerning the eminent graduation exercises that were to take place at eight o'clock that very evening. Beyond her dreariest can of muffled voices— beyond her dingiest vista of slate and brick, on a far-faint hillside, a far-faint streak of April green went roaming jocundly skyward. Altogether sluggishly, as though her nostrils were plugged with warm velvet, the smell of spring and ether and scorched mutton-chops filtered in and out, in and out, in and out of her abnormally jaded senses. Taken all in all, it was not a propitious afternoon for any girl as tired and as pretty as the white linen nurse to be considering the general phenomenon of anything, except April. In the real country, they tell me, where the young spring runs wild and bears a nymph through every dull brown wood and hay-gray meadow, the blasé farmer lad will not even lift his eyes from the plough to watch the pinkness of her passing.' but here, in the prudish, brick-minded city, where the young spring at her friskiest is nothing more audacious than a sweltering, winter-swathed madcap, who has impishly essayed some fine morning to tiptoe down street in her soft, sleuzily, green, silk-stockinged feet, the whole hobnailed population reels back aghast and a grin before the most innocent flash of the rogue's grin-veiled toes and then, suddenly snatching off its own cumbersome winter foot habits, goes chasing madly after her in its own prankish, coloured socks. Now the white linen nurse's socks were black and cotton at that, a combination incontestably sedate. And the white linen nurse had waded barefoot through too many posied country pastures, to experience any ordinary city thrill over the sight of a single blade of grass pushing scarily through a crack in the pavement, or puny concrete strangled maple tree flushing wanly to the smoky sky. Indeed, for three hustling, square-toed, rubber-heeled city years, the white-linen nurse had never even stopped to notice whether the season was flavored with frost or thunder. But now, inexplainably, just at the end of it all, sitting innocently there at her own prim little bedroom window, staring innocently out across indomitable rooftops, with the crackle of glory and diplomas already ringing in her ears, she heard, instead, for the first time in her life, the gaily daredevil voice of the spring, a hoydenish challenge flung back at her, leaf-green from the crest of a winter-scarred hill. "'Hello, White Linen Nurse!' cried the saucy city spring. "'Hello, White Linen Nurse! "'Take off your homely starched collar, or your silly candy-box cap, "'or any other thing that feels maddeningly artificial, "'and come out and be very wild!' Like a poppy-dog cocking its head towards some strange, unfamiliar sound, the White Linen Nurse cocked her head towards the lure of the green-crested hill still wrestling conscientiously with the general phenomenon of being a trained nurse, she found her collar suddenly very tight, the tiny cap inexpressibly heavy and vexatious. Timidly, she removed the collar and found that the removal did not rest her in the slightest. Equally timidly, she removed the cap and found that even that removal did not rest her in the slightest. Then, very, very slowly, but very very permeatingly and completely it dawned on the white linen nurse that never while eyes were blue and her hair gold and lips red would she ever find rest again until she had removed her noble expression with a jerk that started the pulses in her temples throbbing like two toothaches she straightened up in her chair all along the back of her neck the little blonde curls began to crisp very ticklingly at their roots. Still staring worriedly out over the old city's slate-gray head, to that inciting prance of green across the farthest horizon, she felt her whole being kindle to an indescribable passion of revolt against all hushed places. Seething with fatigue, smouldering with ennui, she experienced suddenly a wild, Almost incontrollable impulse to sing, to shout, to scream from the housetops, to mock somebody, to defy everybody, to break laws, dishes, heads, anything in fact that would break with a crash. And then at last, over the hills and far away, with all the outraged world at her heels, to run and run and run and run and run and, run and laugh till her feet ravelled out and her lungs burst, and there was nothing more left of her at all, ever, ever any more. Discordantly, into this rapturously pagan vision of pranks and posies, broke one of her roommates all a whiff with ether, a whir with starch. Instantly, with the first creak of the door-handle, the white linen nurse was on her feet, breathless, resentful, grotesquely defiant. "'Get out of here, Zilla Forsythe!' she cried furiously. "'Get out of here quick and leave me alone! I want to think!' Perfectly serenely the newcomer advanced into the room. With her pale ivory-tinted cheeks, her great limpid brown eyes, her soft dark hair parted Madonna-like across her beautiful brow, her whole face was like some exquisite composite picture of all the saints of history.' Her voice also was amazingly tranquil. "'Oh, fudge,' she drawled, "'what's eating you, Ray McGregor? I won't either get out. It's my room just as much as it is yours, and Helene's just as much as it is ours.' "'And besides,' she added more briskly, "'it's four o'clock now, and with graduation at eight, and the dance afterwards, if we don't get our stuff packed up now, when in thunder shall we get it done?' Quite irrelevantly, she began to laugh. Her laugh was perceptibly shriller than her speaking voice. "'Say, Ray,' she confided, "'that minister I nursed enough pneumonia last winter "'wants me to pose as sanctity for a stained-glass window in his new church. "'Isn't he the softy?' "'Shall you do it?' quizzed Ray Malgregor, a trifle tensely. "'Shall I do it?' mocked the newcomer well you just watch me four mornings a week in june at full week's wages fresh easter lilies every day white silk angel robes all the high soles and high paints cow-towing around me why it would be more fun than a box of monkeys sure i'll do it expeditiously as she spoke the newcomer reached up for the framed motto over her own ample mirror and yanking it down with one single tug began to busy herself adroitly with a snarl in the picture cord Like a width of willow yearning over a brook, her slender figure curved to the task. Very scintillatingly, the afternoon light seemed to brighten suddenly across her lap. "'You'll be a long time dead,' glinted the motto through its sun-dazzled glass. Still panting with excitement, still bristling with resentment, Ray Malgregor stood surveying the intrusion and the intruder. A dozen impertinent speeches were rioting in her mind. Twice her mouth opened and shut before she finally achieved the particular opprobrium that completely satisfied her. "'Bah! You look like a trained nurse!' she blurted forth at last with hysterical triumph. "'So do you,' said the newcomer amiably. With a little gasp of dismay, Ray Malgregor sprang suddenly forward— her eyes were flooded with tears. "'Why, that's just exactly what's the matter with me!' she cried. "'My face is all worn out, trying to look like a trained nurse. Oh, Zilla, how do you know you were meant to be a trained nurse? How does anybody know? Oh, Zillah, save me, save me!' Languorously, Zilla Forsythe looked up from her work and laughed. Her laugh was like the accidental tinkle of sleigh-bells in midsummer, vaguely disquieting, a shiver of frost across the face of a lily. "'Save you from what, you great big, overgrown, toe-headed doll baby?' she questioned blandly. "'For heaven's sake, the only thing you need is to go back to whatever toy-shop you came from and get a new head. What in creation's the matter with you lately, anyway? Oh, of course you've had rotten luck this past month, but what of it? That's the trouble with you country girls—you haven't got any stamina.' With slow, shuffling-footed astonishment, Ray Malgregor stepped out into the center of the room. "'Country girls?' she repeated blankly. "'Why, you're a country girl yourself.' "'I am not,' snapped Zillah Forsythe. "'I'll have you understand that there are nine thousand people in the town I come from, and not a ruby among them. "'Why, I tended soda fountain in the drug store there a whole year before I even thought of taking up nursing.' and i wasn't as green when i was six months old as you are now slowly with a soft snuggling sigh of contentment she raised her slim white fingers to coax her dusky hair a little looser a little farther down a little more madonna-like across her sweet mild forehead then snatching out abruptly at a convenient shirtwaist began with extraordinary skill to apply its dangly lace sleeves as a protective bandage for the delicate glass-faced motto still in her lap, placed the completed parcel with inordinate scientific precision in the exact corner of her packing-box, and then went on very diligently, very zealously, to strip the men's photographs from the mirror on her bureau. There were twenty-seven photographs in all, and for each one she had already cut and prepared a small square of perfectly fresh perfectly immaculate white tissue wrapping paper no one so transcendently fastidious so exquisitely neat in all her personal habits had ever trained in that particular hospital before very soberly the doll-faced girl stood watching the men's pleasant paper countenances smooth away one by one into their chaste white veilings until at last, quite without warning, she poked an accusing, inquisitive finger directly across Zilla Forsyth's shoulder. "'Zilla!' she demanded peremptorily. "'All the year I've wanted to know! All the year every other girl in our class has wanted to know! Where did you ever get that picture of the senior surgeon? He never gave it to you in the world! He didn't! He didn't! He's not that kind!' Deeply into Zilla Forsyth's pale, ascetic cheek dawned a most amazing dimple. "'Sort of jarred you girls some, didn't it?' she queried. "'To see me strutting around with a photo of the senior surgeon?' The little cleft in her chin showed suddenly with almost startling distinctness. "'Well, seeing it's you,' she grinned, "'and the year's all over, and there's nobody left that I can worry about it any more. I don't mind telling you in the least that I—' "'Bought it out of a photographer's showcase. "'There, are you satisfied now?' "'With easy nonchalance, she picked up the picture in question "'and scrutinized it shrewdly. "'Lord, what a face!' she attested. "'Nothing but granite. "'Hack him with a knife and he wouldn't bleed but just chip off into pebbles.' "'With exaggerated contempt, she shrugged her supple shoulders. "'Bah! How I hate a man like that! "'There's no fun in him!' A little abruptly, she turned and thrust the photograph into Ray Malgregor's hand. "'You can have it if you want to,' she said. "'I'll trade it to you for that lace corset cover of yours.' Like water dripping through a sieve, the photograph slid through Ray Malgregor's frightened fingers. With nervous apology, she stooped and picked it up again, and held it gingerly by one remotest corner. Her eyes were quite wide with horror— "'Oh, of course I'd like the picture well enough,' she stammered. "'But it wouldn't seem exactly respectful to to trade it for a corset cover.' "'Oh, very well,' drawled Zilla Forsythe. "'Tear it up, then!' Expeditiously, with frank, non-sentimental fingers— Ray Malgregor tore the tough cardboard across, and again across, and once again across, and threw the conglomerate fragments into the waste-basket. And her expression all the time was no more, no less, than the expression of a person who would infinitely rather execute his own pet-dog or cat than risk the possible bungling of an outsider.' then, like a small child, trotting with infinite relief to its own doll house, she trotted over to her bureau, extracted the lace corset cover, and came back with it in her hand to lean across Zillah Forsythe's shoulder again and watch the men's faces go slipping off into oblivion. Once again, abruptly without warning, she halted the process with a breathless exclamation. "'Oh, of course this waist is the only one I've got with ribbons in it!' she asserted irrelevantly. But I'm perfectly willing to trade it for that picture. She pointed out with unmistakable explicit fingertip. Chucklingly, Zillah Forsythe withdrew the special photograph from its half-completed wrappings. Oh, him? she said. Oh, that's a chap I met on the train last summer. He's a brakeman or something. He's a— Perfectly, unreluctantly— Ray Malgregor dropped the fluff of lace and ribbons into Zilla's lap, and reached out with cheerful voraciousness to annex the young man's picture to her somewhat bleak possessions. "'Oh, I don't care a rap who he is,' she interrupted briskly. "'But he's sort of cute-looking, and I've got an empty frame at home just that odd size, and mother's crazy for a new picture to stick up over the kitchen mantelpiece. She gets so tired of seeing nothing but the faces of people she knows all about.' Sharply, Zillah Forsythe turned and stared up into the younger girl's face, and found no guile to whet her stare against well, of all the ridiculous, unmitigated greenhorns, she began well, is that all you wanted him for? Why I supposed you wanted to write to him? Why I supposed for the first time, an expression not altogether dollish darkened across Ray Malgregor's garishly juvenile blondness. "'Maybe I'm not quite as green as you think I am,' she flared up stormily. With this sharp flaring up, every single individual pulse in her body seemed to jerk itself suddenly into conscious activity again, like the soft, plushy pound, pound, pound of a whole stocking-footed regiment of pain descending a single file upon her for her hysterical undoing. "'Maybe i have had a good deal more experience than you give me credit for.' she hastened excitedly to explain i tell you i tell you i've been engaged she blurted forth with a bitter sort of triumph with a palpable flicker of interest Zillah forsyth looked back across her shoulder engaged how many times she asked quite bluntly as though the whole monogamous groundwork of civilization was threatened by the question Ray Malgregor's hands went clutching at her breast. "'Why, once!' she gasped. "'Why, once!' Convulsively, Zilla Forsythe began to rock herself to and fro. "'Oh, lordy!' she chuckled. "'Oh, lordy, lordy! Why, I've been engaged four times just this past year!' in a sudden passion of fastidiousness she bent down over the particular photograph in her hand and snatching at a handkerchief began to rub diligently at a small smooch of dust in one corner of the cardboard something in the effort of rubbing seemed to jerk her small round chin into almost angular prominence and before i'm through she added at least two notes below her usual alto tones "'And before I'm through, I'm going to get engaged to "'every profession that there is on the surface of the globe.' "'Quite helplessly, the thin paper skin of the photograph "'peeled off in company with a smooch of dust. "'And when I marry,' she ejaculated fiercely, "'and when I marry, I'm going to marry a man "'who will take me to every place that there is, "'on the surface of the globe, and after that—' "'After what?' interrogated a brand new voice from the doorway. End of chapter one